Welcome to episode two of season two of Two Brown Girls. This episode is all about mental health within the South Asian community and breaking down the stigma surrounding this aspect of our health. Before we dive into it, we want to acknowledge that this podcast is being created on Ngunnawal and Ngambri land. We would like to pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the land, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, and their elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and this land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We also want to remind our listeners that the views, thoughts and opinions expressed are our own and do not represent the views, thoughts and opinions of our professions, nor of the communities we may be a part of. So a lot of us have probably encountered some of these issues in our personal lives um, regarding mental health. And having been raised in a Western country, we know the concept of mental health, broadly speaking, um, pretty well. We know it through initiatives like Are You OK Day? Um, but let's talk more about it from a South Asian perspective. When talking about the prevalence of mental health, obviously it's something which I think has been raised in the media a lot recently in like the past, I don't know, five, ten years. But it's, well, I found that it's rarely culturally specific. So when you look at mental health in South Asian communities specifically, I came across this stat online which said that in the U.S., one in five South Asians report a mood or anxiety disorder, and that is much Mm. higher than the U.S. national average. So we obviously experience it more, but no one talks about why. And there's, I mean, there are, you know, services available for South Asian people to refer to, but they're not advertised well enough for us to actually access them. No, definitely not. Like, yeah, just even researching a little bit about what resources are available. It's like very hard to find something within your region. Mm. Um, And then also I can imagine, I mean, we already have a pretty big crisis when it comes to the availability of mental health practitioners Mm. let alone then south asian mental health practitioners because there's not many of them and there's high demand yeah exactly why do you think south asians experience mental health issues more than the average population Oh, I don't know. There's, I feel like there's a wide range of factors. I was thinking a little bit about um, migrant experiences. Obviously, I can't necessarily speak about South Asians um, who are still in their home country. But I guess thinking about the migrant experience, there's something called acculturative stress, which basically refers to um, trying to blend cultures and the stress that comes with trying to immerse into a new culture whilst maintaining your own so I can imagine that that can be quite stressful not only for first generation immigrants but for second generation immigrants um potentially those battles are a little bit different but and maybe some of those battles we spoke about in our previous episode related to cultural identity but I think definitely the experience of being a migrant in a new country can can really add to the stress and I also think, okay, personally, I think there's there's some issues with labeling cultures, either individualistic or collectivist, mm. but, you know, just resorting to that because that's the most well understood uh, way to d- differentiate. I feel like South Asian cultures are predominantly collectivist. So you don't really uh, pick your job. <laughs> Whatever mm. your parents and your community tell you to do is what you do. And then if you're in a South Asian community, then you're still going to be supported throughout that and you're going to still have a high... I don't know, you're still going to enjoy your life because everyone, like, you know, everyone around you is supporting you. Mm. Whereas then when you come to, from that environment into an individualist culture like Australia, here we say like, you know, your your dream job and like, you know, you should really do what you love because then it doesn't feel like work. And then if you don't actually like your work, yeah. then you're stuck in this cycle of like, wow, my work is not fulfilling and there's also no support around me. You know, everyone says that if I hate my job, I should just quit. So then it's like when you then go through that like 
I don't know, I guess it's like cognitive dissonance mm. where it's like, what should I actually do? And like, it leads to identity crises mm. and all that sort of stuff, which then again leads to mental health issues, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's such a valid point of being able to have social support around you. And I think like that is one one of the strengths, I guess, of having, I guess, a collectivist culture in the sense that there is more support and, and you're more, I guess, enmeshed with other people. But I guess, what, yeah, losing that can be really difficult if that's something that someone's very much accustomed to. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, going back to season one, episode one of Two Young Girls. <laughs> Our favourite. <laughs> um, I definitely think dating is actually a big one. Well, especially for South Asian adolescents, because, you know, because we have this uh, expectation from home that, you know, in many South Asian communities, it's like, oh, you shouldn't date before you get married, or at least, you know, until you're a bit older. Um, Whereas the culture here is like, I don't know about your experience, but (laughs) I remember people having like boyfriends and girlfriends back in primary school. So it was like a, it was like a thing. And like, it became more of a thing in high school and stuff like that. But like, being surrounded by this culture where you know, dating is so normal and then all your friends have crushes and everyone has like boyfriends and girlfriends and then expecting that, you know, you can't have one because of the culture you come from and because of your home environment. That leads to some upset, I think, mm. uh, at the very least. And then yeah. and then I feel like some, some or a lot um, of us still follow through with these desires uh, in secrecy, mm-hmm. but then we live in constant fear of always being found out, right? Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. It's just the lying and then the stress of the lying and yeah. then the fear of what happens if they find out. Yeah. yeah. And then I think the secrecy of these relationships could also be just due to internalized shame and feeling like you'll be rejected if you if you do sort of come come out, you know, with mm-hmm. this idea of like, yeah, I have a girlfriend or I have a boyfriend. So I feel like this leads to like lifelong anxiety. Yeah. And yeah, I feel also I feel like just generally when you can't speak about your your the experiences that you're going through openly, that also leads to mental health issues like depression and things like that when you feel alone in your situation. Mm, yeah, and it can be I guess hard if that's like, you know, you're maybe one of the only, you know, ethnic people in your school and you know, you're having to hide your relationship from your parents or hide that you're, you know, drinking or whatever, mm. but you can't really speak to other people because they can't necessarily connect to you about that they'll be like oh yeah but like just convince your parents that it's fine and that can be a really isolating experience yeah I think another one might also be just generally discrimination Mm -hmm. like I think being South Asian being a minority in a country can definitely lead to a lot of discrimination a lot of minorities face that and I think that can cause great amounts of distress and that might not necessarily always be the most explicit type of discrimination but even the more microaggressions and Mm -hmm. things like that that can really I don't know cause someone to be in inner conflict and inner turmoil for a while they're just like oh was that actually like am I being too sensitive am I being too this when someone like says a passive-aggressive racist remark or something yeah for sure um another one which which we've had there is um like competition the idea of like this is not I think specific to South Asian communities but I do feel like it is prevalent in ours where there's this idea of always proving yourself and you, you know we've heard like the the phrase is like Sharma ji ka beta. Mm-hmm. So it's like always parents always compare you to other people's kids. <sighs> and like it might be like a norm and we like laugh about it, right? But sometimes as a kid it's it's stressful. And like just something else which I've remembered is um, you know, suicide rates for South mm-hmm. Asians are or at least Asians in, in general, mm. um, is much higher than the global average. So I think and, and specifically around that time, during the end of high school, start of uni obviously Mm -hmm. because you know there's so much pressure to always do well and always get into these universities and these courses and people don't because 
because of various reasons, but sometimes the pressure itself. Yeah. In the whole, I guess, competition mindset, I think, I mean, that's probably maybe an outcome or a result of migration. I think it's the idea of like being in a rat race and like trying to prove yourself, trying to make something of yourself. And then it's like, yeah, you're comparing yourself to other families that are of you know also migrated and you're like oh okay oh well my daughter just got into med and mm. you know and all those things and so when you're forcing to put the best version of yourself always then there's going to be shame associated with being vulnerable mm. yeah because you're not transparent about anything really mm. and then as soon as you know something comes up within a home environment there's so much stigma because it's like what will people say yeah like who do we talk to about this like no just keep it under wraps like what if someone finds out that you're um seeing a psychologist like that's mm. you know da- like that's bad and like at what cost do we do that at what cost are we you know shaming people from seeking help yeah yeah yeah, I definitely also think, yeah, the shame that comes with being vulnerable is so real in South Asian communities. There's this phrase in Hindi saying ghar ki baat, and that's mm. like, you know, topics which should only be talked about in the mm. house. And so, you know, you could have like a massive family argument, but then if someone knocks on your door, then everyone's just expected to like switch and be happy, right? And you always hide like your imperfections and you always hide these troubles that you're going through when you've got like guests over or like st- stuff like that. Like every kid has this, but if you and your mom have a fight... <laughs> Um, she'll just like give you a look, which means like be on your best behavior right now. Yeah, pretend like you're, and then you're like, oh my God, mom, love you. Can I help you? Can yeah. I help out? Like you, despite the fact that you were probably both screaming at each other like a minute before. Yeah, exactly. Um, and another factor I think is possibly specific to South Asians, you know, in this context is um, intergenerational trauma. Obviously different minorities have been through different trauma. Mm-hmm. But for us, like, let's not forget that the majority of South Asia, India, Pakistan, all mm-hmm. those areas, we lived through over a hundred years of, you know, British rule of colonialism. Mm. Then we went through partition in which like, yeah. you know, millions of families were displaced and mm-hmm. millions of people died. And then, yeah, as you said, like the migrant experience, it's an interesting one to talk about because sometimes I feel like we've been socialized or like, you know, we think that we have to migrate because it, like there's this idea that like, oh, India is like a second or like a third world country. You mm. need to migrate somewhere better. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess adding all that stress, like thinking about it, like probably, you know, grandparents who faced the partition, like, of course, that would cause so much trauma, trauma that then affects your capacity in some way to be there, present, mm-hmm. parent and all that. And then we all know that like parenting influences future parenting and things like that. And it, and it ends up, unfortunately, as a cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're never really speaking about our feelings and we're dealing with so much distress yeah and then that's something that we put onto our children through yeah like then we might become very like rigid or authoritative or like we'll have a more unhelpful I guess parenting style because we're suppressing so much exactly and I definitely think like elder generations definitely had a lot of mental health issues but they didn't call it that because we didn't know what mental health was at that time right so when I think about it I'm like people you know generations who were alive for the British rule or especially Mm. partition probably had like you know PTSD depression anxiety all these different things that that arose from very real fears Mm. right like yeah and and that was never talked about. So they dealt with all those. Well, they didn't deal with all those mm-hmm. issues. And then, yeah, they be, they possibly became not the best parents to their children. And these children then picked up these parenting styles mm-hmm. and these attitudes from their parents and passed it down to the next generation. So as you said, it like becomes a cycle. And another thing which I was thinking about is during the time of British rule and colonization, I feel like all these other ideas were like fed into us, right? Like mm. 
mm. like internalized racism, um, yeah. colorism, like all these different things. We didn't have a choice but to accept that. Mm. Um, and then that's been passed down generation yeah. to generation. No, and then, yeah, and like we all know that like having internalized colorism would very much be linked to having poor mental health. Mm. Like if you're, if you're hating who, you're, the body that you're in, that's, yeah. that's definitely going to not lead to good self-esteem. So yeah, I, I didn't think of that, but that's actually such a like valid point. Mm. So the first time I actually heard of mental health was mm. when I was in school and we were shown a diagram of these three aspects of well-being. So there was the physical aspect, mental aspect and social aspect. Before that, I guess I may have like intrinsically known that mental well-being was a part of my health, um, but I never explicitly considered it as separate from like my physical health, right? Um, was your experience like that as well? Or where did you learn about this concept of mental health? I, I couldn't really remember or recall. Like, I, I think it's definitely been something that I identified the importance of mental health once there was a deterioration of mental health. Do you know what I mean? Like once you lose something, you realize the importance of it. So I think when I started facing like mental health issues when I was a teen, um, then I realized how important and how fundamental it was to my emotional well-being, and um, and how fundamental it was to my physical health. Because then I would notice changes in my physical health as a result of changes in my mental health. So I think that was when I, I guess, specifically started to realize the importance of it mm. but I don't think I was actually taught enough about it in school I'm trying to think if like in our health because we had health classes mm. we spoke about like you know learning sex ed and everything mm. in school I, I can't recall whether or not we actually had like a class on mental health I feel like that was psychology <laughs> like oh, yeah. that was a, that was a class but that was an elective that you took up if you yeah. wanted to you know yeah. yeah so you learned about it through I guess education a little bit but what where else did you learn about mental health from I really, I, I'm like struggling to actually name things because I specifically remember that diagram in our book, which is why that came to mind. I don't know where else I've heard about it. Definitely not within the community for sure. Oh. I guess maybe just the media, like again, mm. social media is like a big um, influence in our lives now. So I'm sure like, you know, even now, like it's filled with that sort of stuff. So yeah. And also maybe like throughout school and even it's more prevalent now in my working life. Like, you know, we've got things like Are You Okay Day and all these like initiatives where where we talk about mental health, but then sometimes they feel a little bit tokenistic. Oh, I think so, definitely. <laughs> because I think it's like, are you okay? But then, and then I know now there's like that image circulating of like, what to say when someone says they're no. not okay. But I'm like, <laughs> that's also like, imagine being like, sorry, you said no. Let me just pull out my Instagram <laughs> post and think of a new response because I wasn't anticipating you to say you weren't okay. Yeah. So I just feel like that's a little bit like artificial in some ways. Like, it's great. Like, I mean, it starts a conversation, but I just think like we still aren't really great at continuing the conversation. And like thinking back to times in our lives where we were probably not okay. If someone asked you point blank, are you okay? What would your like gut instinct be? Yes, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> exactly. I feel like it's really hard to even acknowledge that you're not okay. You may not even like be able to identify within yourself that, you know, I actually need help. Um, I feel like often during those times in our lives where we're not doing okay, I looked at the more like practical things. Like I'm like, oh my God, I'm falling behind on my studies. I really need to study. And like, I tried to focus my energy on like all these other things without addressing the root cause because I didn't mm. identify the root cause. I didn't realize that it was me who was not okay. Mm. So yeah, like I feel like those days are obviously really important and I'm, I'm glad that they exist. But I mean, some people might actually say, no, I'm not doing okay. But out of the whole range of people who are not doing okay, I feel like only a minority will actually admit to it. Yeah. And I think like, if you want to link it back to the South Asian community, like, well, one, how, how often do we even ask each other, are we okay? Yeah. Like, really? Like, I'm just thinking of 
growing up and things like that like was even questioning about someone's mental health mm. appropriate like mm. it was like no 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 that's not something you ask yeah seeking support is really hard right especially when i'm not sure about like your experience mm. but i feel like a lot of communities there's actually a stigma against against admitting that you have a mental health mm. issue and then seeking support so even if you do identify that you know like i'm going through all this because of of I've got like an issue which I need to see someone about actually seeing someone is horrible and I remember someone told me when I was like possibly at like the worst like down in my mm. life um don't go see a psychologist like they mess you up even more like they actually like mess with your head and they'll make you think that you have things which you don't have that's what someone oh told my me gosh. and I like the thing is I studied psychology at mm. university so I sort of knew I was like no what that person is telling me is nonsense that is stigma mm. um but I couldn't when they told me that, I like felt like crying. I was yeah. like, I don't want to tell people that I'm seeing a psychologist if that's the reaction they're going to have. That's such an awful reaction, in my opinion. And, and it, it can really, yeah, just reduce seeking help so much. Like, at least you had the knowledge of being like, no, that's rubbish. But like, that could have very much impacted you to be like, oh, I, I won't seek help. Like, I'm scared that they're going to like do some voodoo on me or something, yeah. you know? Have you heard of stuff like that as well? Like, what stigma that you've seen? Or oh, heard? yeah. I mean, I've definitely faced stigma, I think, just, yeah. Like, with I think it's been internalized so much of this. I, I love the word internalized. We've been <laughs> using that, like, all the time. But it definitely has. I think I knew I needed help around when I was a teen and then I sought support um, but it was something that I just knew to keep it under wraps mm -hmm. and I was told like you know like don't tell people but especially don't tell friends from your background because mm -hmm. then they'll tell their parents and then their parents will know and then they'll you know gossip and things like that and I mean yeah gossip does happen I know that like I, I would love to be like that's like bs like that's such a irrational fear mm -hmm. but like yeah people within the south asian community share other people's mental health experiences and call them awful names and label mm -hmm. them as like crazy or hysterical and things like that without really understanding the full extent but mm -hmm. i guess like linking back to yeah what i went through i think i for so long well one i thought it was such a big deal to go mm -hmm. and see support like now i'm like oh actually like everyone basically does or has at some point in their lifetime like or needs to or <laughs> needs to or needs to yeah, yeah yeah not everyone has of course not that um but yeah definitely it's it's a need and it's a requirement it should be treated very much as equal to seeing your gp because mm -hmm. everyone goes through struggles and like I don't know, like you don't also necessarily have to have a diagnosable mental health condition to go and seek help. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the stigma for myself eventually became like reduced over time was when I, I think, yeah, actually going to therapy and being like, oh my God, you're helping me so much. Like, mm. and I'm able to do things that I wasn't able to do before. Mm. Um, I think that really helped. And then being like, what am I doing? Like, I am actually passionate about psychology and things mm -hmm. like that. How can I then also be like, no, but we should still, I should still not talk about my own experience with it. Mm -hmm. And that was even what I was feeling today, like before coming into talking about mental health. I was like, do I even want to ever admit that I've seen a psychologist? Like mm -hmm. people are going to judge me. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally like training to become a psychologist like how can I how can I perpetuate that stigma yeah yeah um it's interesting that you mentioned um something about like what will people say was mm. like a, a a real stigma like for me it's so frustrating that people put so much emphasis on what other people say but 
in our community it's real right because it comes back to you like it's if it was just something which didn't affect you you'd be like whatever i don't care but this like gossip which spreads around mm. the community gets back to you and it actually like influences your social interactions with these people in future situations or like even like i don't know coming from this from maybe like a slightly older traditional mindset impacts your like future marriage uh, mm-hmm. prospects and things like that. I've had friends who've gone through like many issues whether it be mental health or physical health or whatever and their families have been like don't tell anyone otherwise how will we get you married? And I'd be like oh think about your younger siblings how will we get them married? And it's like are you serious? like your your child is going through something traumatic. Mm-hmm. You should be like their biggest source of support. Instead you're trying to shame them and you're trying to be like don't tell anyone keeps us a secret cuz what will happen if like Sima and Dee finds out like, <laughs> from engine yeah. matchmaking she's going to be like no i know no and that's actually heartbreaking to mm. hear that that's what and like people's own parents response to their own kids mental health you know what i mean like it's one thing okay like your aunt some obnoxious auntie like that's mm. still awful but your own parents are like so worried about all these other things and it's like at what cost are you waiting for them to get to their wits end mm. and and i think that that's like so awful and i think we were speaking about suicide rates before and i mm. think that that would likely contribute to it it's mm. this notion of like you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and there's no preventative action and mm. and then everyone's surprised oh my god how how did they like yeah. how, how what happened how did they do that and even then even after after sometimes death you would still still hide the fact that that was what yeah. it was which i like understand to each their own but i think that just shows how how deep the stigma flows mm-hmm. and it doesn't this stigma doesn't help anyone it doesn't help the person going through the mental health issue it doesn't help their family it doesn't help literally all it does is cause harm like if only people if only the stigma was removed and if only people felt comfortable saying like you know oh i'm struggling i need help and then seeking that help all this stuff could have like could be avoided yeah definitely but i think there's at least something to be said about yes we really recognize the need and importance of seeking help mm. but there are also still challenges with when mm. you do seek therapy as a south asian person yeah do you have any thoughts on what those challenges would be well definitely i feel like often what happens is people who are not from our background aren't culturally sensitive to our mm. issues and again you know i'll use um someone else's experience to reference i guess mm. um someone from like a minority background um when they go to seek help for like i don't know in this case it was just like a white woman therapist mm. um and they're like you know i'm having all these issues at home this is what my parents are saying this is what's happening and the therapist is like i can't help you you need to get out of that house like you just need to leave and i was like when my friend told me that i was like what like as yeah. if she told you to just remove yourself from the situation like her job is to help you navigate your life and mm. like to to like you know improve your own mental health regardless of what situation you're in right and whether or not you move out of your house is your call to make ultimately yeah and i i think there's definitely like needs to be respect for that mm. and now i guess coming from the perspective of someone who's like learning what it is like to be on the other end of like trying to help and support people um who are going through mental health concerns i think there's definitely like uh, something to be said about how much you can do as a as a psychologist and if you can very much identify that the space or environment someone is in mm-hmm. in is if that's toxic like that's definitely something that you know you should discuss but there needs to be a level of cultural like understanding and just mm. acknowledgement of the difference mm. of being like uh I actually don't know what it would be like and it, I actually don't know how prevalent of that that is 
of an issue, you know, mm. like, because a lot of South Asian kids are growing up in probably not so good environments, mm. maybe a result of intergenerational trauma, all those things that we spoke about before. Mm. So like, if <laughs> to just be like, yeah, just leave. Like, that's not what they're trying to seek help for. They're trying to seek help for how they can best manage that situation. And I can understand as a psychologist, you're like, how much, like, how much can I provide? Mm. And, and obviously maybe the best solution would be for them to be in a safer environment. Mm. But at the same time, you have to respect the autonomy of the person and yeah. be like, you're, you want to be in this situation right now and you just want to know how you can cope. Yeah. And, and yeah. Also the thing is, okay, so you spoke about like toxic environments, right? I have this opinion as I've grown up, a lot of my South Asian friends, we have very similar experiences. And I feel like even if the majority of South Asian households are quote unquote toxic, right? Not all of us want to leave those environments because because of maybe this taught love for our parents. And mm. this again, maybe maybe it's a cultural ideal, but this idea of like our parents have done so much for us, especially as immigrants. A lot of our parents, if you ask them why they chose to migrate to any, another country, a lot of them will say it's because I want to give my kids a better life. So it's yeah. like they've actually like sacrificed a lot for us. And maybe this is like cultural idea of like having to be thankful for that. And I know sometimes, you know, we have to act in our own best interest. And I know that's a thing. But at the same time, it's sort of like when someone says like, oh, no, your parents are being toxic. You should just leave. It's not actually a practical way for us to mm. move forward. Like we don't want to do that. I love my parents. I want to stay with them. But mm. at the same time, I need to protect my own mental health. And I need someone to help me facilitate that you know uh, balance yeah and I think like that's something that just is is lacking in mm -hmm. some ways like yeah a limited understanding mm -hmm. of that experience and a limited understanding of how they can help you facilitate and navigate those two competing things which could be that like okay there's some elements of my family that isn't helpful but yeah. I'm also very loving towards them so mm -hmm. I, I don't know how do I reconcile the two and that's what you need support with and yeah you don't need someone to shame your family. You don't need someone to shame the traditions of your culture mm. because they'll be like, oh, well, look, why do you want to like, why does it matter so much for you to like take care of them later mm. and things like that? It's like, I'm not questioning like the fundamentals of your culture either, yeah. you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, okay, you've obviously studied psychology at university, but do you think in the general in general society or like the South Asian community mm. specifically, do you think there's enough like understanding and education about mental health? In the South Asian community? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Who would have guessed? <laughs> no, wow, revolutionary. No, I, I think the like mental health literacy of people in the South Asian community is like nil. <laughs> Zilch. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean... I think now there's like the idea of like, okay, and this might be because if you're growing up in a Western country and the idea of like anxiety and depression being like acceptable, more mm. acceptable illnesses. Mm. But then it feels like as soon as it starts to get into like neurocognitive disorders or if it, you, you get into more extreme ends of anxiety and depression and things. Yeah. Like, and anxiety and depression is so difficult. Like it's yeah. actually like, I don't want to ever undermine that because I think like they're very prevalent, but... I think also we, we have a concept of what it is. And then when we see someone with depression, we're like, yeah. oh, like that's what it is. And mm. um, yeah, I think there's so much misunderstanding of sadness and depression and the conflation of the two. And it's just like, ah, oh, but better you're just sad right now. Like it's, you know, get over it. <laughs> like, you know, or like they'll make a comparison to 
you know, themselves back in the day and all the challenges that they as parents had faced yeah. and be like, well, I wasn't like that. And it's just like, okay, well, yeah, I am. So support. No, exactly. And something else that you uh, talked about just like hit like this thing for me, mm-hmm. just a side topic. I really don't like when people use those words flippantly. Oh. And sometimes I understand, sometimes I understand like, oh, you want to express how sad mm-hmm. you are. And the word that we use for that in English is, you know, I'm depressed. Like, mm. totally understand. Like, I, I get that. But at the same time, I'm like, when people, like, throw around words like, oh, my God, I'm so, like, socially anxious. Like, people use it as, like, a personality as trait. As a quirk. Oh, yeah. as a quirk. And then what it really does is remove the, the realness of that condition for someone who actually suffers it. I feel like people, even though everyone thinks they know what anxiety is, someone who's actually going through anxiety yeah. feels like they don't have that support because their, I guess, symptoms are not what people are normalized like to believe or you know I'm, I'm yeah no no definitely I agree like I think I also had that as my own experience like growing up like I would hear like names of different conditions mm-hmm. right and then it'd be minimized mm-hmm. and then if I were to ever be like told about a condition I'd be like no it's not that mm-hmm. like my I what I'm feeling is so much like more distressing than mm-hmm. simply anxiety like because you know what I mean like you'd yeah. feel like oh anxiety everyone has anxiety mm-hmm. But it's like, are we talking about anxiety really? Yeah. Or are we talking about worry? Are we talking about something else? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's like the the vocabulary that people use is just very muddled. Mm, yeah, definitely. And also what I was going to say was, um, you mentioned like all these like other diagnosable illnesses or disorders, right? Um, so I feel like even if there is, uh, you know, we're starting to acknowledge anxiety and depression and all these sorts of issues in the South Asian community as well. I think that's at least started, even mm. if it's not there. I feel like the younger generation, like our generation is probably more aware of all those issues. But I feel like, you know, we've got the whole like DSM-5 or whatever yeah, up to yeah. now. Um, a lot of those illnesses or disorders are still not recognized in the South Asian community. Things like PTSD, autism, disassociative identity disorder, or like- Personality what, disorders. Yeah, yeah, what used to be called like split personality disorder. Mm. Things like that, like, I, when I was growing up, um, I had people talk about these issues in front of me, but not with those words. They would literally be like, oh, he's a bit crazy. Like, oh, you know, like something's wrong with him sort of thing. So, I mean, I'm sure like this is experience of many people where it's like when you hear that growing up for like an extended period of time, you end up thinking, oh yeah, if someone has this condition, something is wrong with them. Yeah. And it makes you feel like, you know, there's something which needs to be fixed as opposed to just identifying like, hey, that person is just different. This is like people Mm. living with autism who are on the autism spectrum, like they're capable human beings. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's it's us who need to understand that as opposed to them. Yeah, exactly. And I think autism and things like that and, and those disorders, it's like, yeah, it's viewed very much as something that there's a deficit Mm. and it has to be fixed uh, versus something that is unique and and something that makes someone resilient and has has different things to offer yeah and i definitely i also think the south asian community because they've got this idea of like oh if someone acts just weirdly there must be something quote-unquote wrong with them when people do have these disorders Mm. no one goes to a doctor and says you know hey can you help me figure out what's going on Mm. um often it's just like oh it's dismissive they dismiss all these people with all these different traits Mm. because they think like oh they're just quote-unquote not normal when that shouldn't be the standard yeah it shouldn't be and i think the vocab that we used and i especially like i guess to bring more of also like a feminist lens to it the mm-hmm. constant use of women being described as hysterical and yeah. that's something still within the south asian community i think like a woman demanding not even demanding like women claiming her wants and her needs and her space and and anything like that like even if we watch Indian matchmaking like the probably the amount of times we've called people crazy Mm. for just for a woman 
saying what she needs like mm. it just shows that we we don't know what we're saying like we're mm. just using words that have meaning have really like impactful meaning and we're just like flippantly chucking it around mm. and i think like we all just need a whole like school lesson i yeah. think about what terms are we using and that's not just restricted to the south asian community yeah. but i think definitely it is quite more prevalent there Definitely. I'm um, talking about terms that are used. I have heard this so many times um, online. This idea of being a snowflake. Oh. Have you heard that? Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately. What, what, what context have you heard it? Because I, I can think of two different contexts. Oh, I'm thinking of more of in the political correctness yeah. context. Like, I'm like, oh, it's snowflake. But also I think it's, yeah, the idea of having any level of vulnerability means fragility and weakness yeah well okay so i think that this idea of being politically correct actually links into mental health mm. because what we're trying to do is be mm. respectful of everyone right and mm. that will then reduce some of the discrimination people face and um reduce some of like the triggers that are associated with mental health issues for minorities right and so when you're saying oh you're just being too politically correct we should just be able to say whatever we want you're basically saying being racist is okay mm. you should be able to like you know say specific words and make specific jokes because mm. because you want to and what that means is someone else's mental health uh mm. well it's detrimental to someone else's mental health um so this idea of being a snowflake really just pisses me off i'm sorry but it pisses yeah. me off because i'm like just because something is not convenient for you mm. why are you trying to use that as a way to sort of I don't even know what I'm... I'm no, I agree. It's probably an idea pervasive in psychology of like you, you want someone to be able to emotionally regulate themselves and, and like if something happens, they're able to manage themselves. Mm. But like to ask and to request for a more inclusive environment, mm. to ask for someone to use the appropriate pronouns because yeah. being transgender or being um like gay for uh, for a period of time was considered a mental disorder like mm. like asking for those things to just be inclusive yeah. isn't asking to, isn't saying oh i'm such a weak fragile snowflake it's just mm. being like can you respect me as yeah. a person and and that's the thing like i think there's too much just too much being like oh i don't want to make things inconvenient for myself yeah. and it's like but yeah, again, at what cost? At the cost of someone else's mental well-being? Like, exactly. is is you just like, and if you make a mistake, that's okay. Like, just mm. try and be effortful and like care about other people. Yeah, exactly. The idea of a snowflake. Every single time I see someone online calling someone else a snowflake, I'm like, but hold on. If you're becoming mm. offended by the other person trying to be respectful, aren't you the snowflake? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? I know. You know, reverse cut. You know, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, reverse cut. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Talking, okay, so we've talked a lot about, you know, all these different issues which uh, we face as people trying to seek, you know, mental health support. So, what sort of resources are available out there? I mean, we had to do a fair bit of research just to find some. Yeah. But uh, I guess one that we found was a um, Instagram account called Brown Girl Therapy, who posts about issues specific to South Asian girls and women, which some may find inspiring. We also don't want this to become like a replacement for professional help if you yeah. if you do need professional help. But this is definitely something that can just be uplifting and yeah. and yeah, destigmatize the conversation. And I definitely feel like Instagram accounts like um, Brown Girl Therapy are a good starting point for people who don't actually want to seek help or don't like speaking openly about it, um, but still just need some sort of comfort or some sort of like sense of understanding and community and feeling like, you know, you're not alone and there are other people who face like this and reminders just to take care of yourself. Like 
Instagram accounts like that, I feel like are really effective in just reminding you to be kind. Mm. We have another Instagram account to follow, which is South Asian Therapists, uh, who have a list of international therapists you can access if you're listening from outside Australia. And for any South Asian specialists who are tuning in, you can also add yourself to their directory. When we did research, we did actually find a lack of um, Australian South Asian specialists on on this particular Instagram account on this website. Um, So I think it would be really, really beneficial if anyone listening does have that professional experience and can actually just add themselves to the directory and make yourself easier to find. Yeah, that'd be so amazing. I guess another uh, platform is the Embrace Multicultural Mental Health Network and that has a list of mental health services which is state by state in Australia as well as resources available in multiple languages so I think that could be quite useful and going back to Divya you mentioning um, the lack of South Asian mental health practitioners in Australia if you do want to find a list of some of them there is a website called Shakti Mental Health which also has a list of South Asian mental health practitioners um, who are Australian but yeah there needs to be more to that list too so yeah. add yourself to both if you guys listening are a South Asian mental health worker in some way yeah definitely and this is um I came across this place called the Australian South Asian Centre um they're not specifically only about mental health but they're generally about like South Asian well-being and they work out of Melbourne so yeah that's definitely another resource which you can reach out to if you do require some more help um they can also help vulnerable people who are escaping situations of, of violence and things like that um They can help people seek shelter and offer uh, more immediate and practical services if you do need them. And also, if any of the content from today's episode has brought up feelings of distress, please reach out to your local GP. Um, And if you require immediate support, please contact your local crisis hotline. And for people living in Australia, that can be Lifeline Crisis Hotline, which is um, 131114. Well, I really hope that these conversations are continued in our communities and beyond because we really do have a lot of stigma to still identify and then to unlearn. Yeah, I feel like we've just touched the tip of the iceberg in this episode, but this is definitely a conversation that needs to be continued, not only between our generation, but also including the generation above us. Um, Yeah. Definitely. Well, for our listeners, thank you for joining for this episode. Uh, We will be continuing this conversation during our After Dark Instagram Live this week. So be sure to check that out on our Instagram page, Two Brown Girls AU. And as always, please share this episode with people you think might be interested and let us know what you thought via DM. And also don't forget to leave us a rating on Spotify. (laughs) Our next episode is going to be about the LGBTQI experience within the South Asian community. So please join us for that and that will be out the same time next week. See you then. Bye. Bye.